Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by Pastor Tom Sturbins. Amanda, Luke chapter 10, verse 18. Um, Luke chapter 10, verse 18, Jesus is speaking to the disciples. And watch this verse, it's sort of unlikely. He says, they had just returned from ministering or doing the task that they had been given. Do you need a chair? I know your hip hurts if you stand there a long time, Okay. See if you can find that young man. There's an available seat for you right there. Look at that. God provided. Jesus is speaking to the disciples after they had returned from from a ministry mission, if you will. And they were so surprised. They said, you know, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And we get a snapshot here. Please get this. We get a snapshot if you will, of the what theologians will talk is the pre-Christological or pre-incarnational existence. What does that mean? You know, the Bible says that God became flesh and dwelt among us. That's Jesus. So he, when he became flesh, before he became flesh on our timeline, he was something that was not flesh. God is spirit. And certainly the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you know, the God is spirit, in essence, across the landscape of that beautiful picture. But when God took on flesh, it's one of the only times that we get a snapshot of Jesus referring to his existence prior to being in the flesh. One of the only, as a matter of fact, I'm not sure if there's another one. But he says, I, dude, I, I, saw, I saw him, Satan, cast out of heaven like lightning. I've talked about that in the times past, and if you want to know more about that, just send me an email, tom at newhopeonline, and I'll try to find a link to that particular teaching that talks about when that happened and what probably happened and why this language is used. Uh, that I, I saw him cast down, I mean, like, bang, lightning strike right now, and I believe there's a reason why this language is used. But more importantly, <clears throat> we get a picture that Jesus very much carried, please listen closely, a consciousness or awareness to some extent, we don't know how much, about, see, these are wrong words. These words, whatever words I pick from this point on to describe what he was before he became flesh, they will always all fall, uh, fall short. Uh, I tell pastors often who are fascinated with heresy, I said, do you understand the moment we begin to try to describe God in any terms, technically, we're crossing a line into something nearly heretical because God says there are no words that you can use to describe me. So I'm saying that, I'm saying that laughingly sort of tongue in cheek. But this is one of the snapshots and, and what it tells us is that Jesus carried a consciousness somehow, an awareness of before. About two years ago, that gripped me, and as I was going through the book of John, there were two things that God sort of painted in the backdrop of my mind that caused me to reread those 21 chapters in such a different and fresh way. One of those things was looking at it 
every chapter, where does grace and truth, because John chapter 1 verse 14 says, we beheld the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So, Lord, where is grace and truth at work? But, but the second one is that awareness of, of this. You see, arguably, just a moment ago, see, the whole time and space thing with God, just a moment ago, Jesus was there. Just a moment ago. As if he said, just a moment ago, I was there when he was cast down like lightning. But that sent me down a trail because, you see, I believe just a moment ago, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were walking in the garden at the cool of the day, at spirit time. So I wanted to, didn't get to do Pentecost Sunday last week. Uh, and it was going to be entitled The Great Comeback. And I believe it was a comeback because when that, um, when in Genesis chapter 3, it says, when they heard the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. We've studied that language. And again, if you want to know more about it, please send me a, an email. But it can fairly and legitimately be translated spirit time, not just cool of the day, but spirit time. And it becomes a fascinating concept. But you see, just a moment ago, Jesus, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, was standing on the last day in Eden, just a moment ago. Do you understand that the only perfect worship environment that's ever been on this planet happened in Genesis 1 and 2? Everything since then has been a recovery plan. <clears throat> now, at the end of the age, Everything will be restored. God's will will be uncontested. And the beautiful, the most beautiful picture of worship. Why worship? I see new faces, so let me explain. Worship is our worth being shaped, worth shaping. God designed humanity so that our maximum worth would be found in a relationship with him. As you've heard here many times, Mankind didn't leave the Garden of Eden without knowledge. They left the Garden of Eden without a relationship with the knower. God didn't leave uh, uh, man, uh, the, the, the Garden of Eden without a sense of purpose. You read that in chapter 3. He left the Garden without a relationship with the purpose giver. And so the purpose giver comes back. And as the purpose giver comes to this planet and takes on flesh, as he begins his ministry, Jesus Christ in the flesh, I personally believe that he carried the consciousness of just a moment ago. Just a moment ago, I was standing at the moment of departure. The last day of Eden, when mankind, and you hear these words, watch. You heard them, you've heard them a thousand times. Deceived, afraid, and they hide. I believe John chapter 2, as Jesus would come into the temple and begin his public, begin his public ministry. <clears throat> In verse 13, it says, the Passover of the Jews was near and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and he found in the temple those who were selling oxen and sheep and doves the money, uh, and the money changers seated at their tables. They were selling animals for sacrifice and the short version of this is it had become a business. They were selling animals, 
that would be sold again and again. And allegedly, Jeremy, you could buy one of these creatures for sacrifice. Great, your sacrifice will be made. We'll take care of that. But they were bought and sold and bought and sold and bought and sold, and it was a ripoff. They were being ripped off. People were being ripped off. I want you to get this. Because I believe it's part of the encounter that we've had here and we will experience here. The God who showed up in the temple that day at the beginning of his ministry, the first thing he did, he said, I went, he goes into the temple, watch what happened. Uh, He made a scourge of cords, drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. He poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And to those who were selling the doves, he said, take these things away. Stop making my father's house a place of business. Um, I never know. Hosea is sort of like the Holy Spirit. He moves from place to place. I just saw him there. Now he's in another place. Um, Hosea, are you within earshot? You usually are. Of course he is. Something, this is all happening in the monitors right here. So if you can fix that. Uh, A table, a six-foot folding table. No, that one won't. No, I'll break that. Is that plastic? Let me see what it is. No, I think that'll, will that break? Um, Do we have one of the white ones nearby? How far away? Okay, grab that. I don't think, I think it'll, I think it'll survive me better than that. Um... When Jesus, comes in, when Jesus comes into the temple, again, I, that idea, that notion, I don't know what's happened now, but it seems like, every, can you still hear me out there? Okay, just went away up here. All right, I got that. Um, when he comes into the temple, as I was watching worship happen here, and the way worship happens in a moment in time, it's always, it really is always the same, and it's this story. When God shows up, um, it is just a moment ago, I was at the east of Eden. You can put it right over here. Okay, that'll work. I'll scoot it around where I need it. Thank you. You guys are awesome. Okay, great. When he comes in, <clears throat> he notices that what should be a worship, a worth-shaping encounter, that's why the temple was created a place of God's glory where God's people could meet with God. The tabernacle was before the temple, now the temple. Jesus comes into this temple and and fulfilling the prophecies of, of the prophets just hundreds of years earlier. And he comes in and he shows up and it's the day, the moment that he starts his ministry. Now, the ministry towards mankind is a ministry of reconciliation. It's reconciliation, mankind, reconciling mankind with God's highest intentions. That's the ministry of the kingdom of God. It's the ministry of God. It is the ministry of Jesus, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It is the ministry of the church. 
I believe Jesus walked in that day and, <clears throat> and he said, just a moment ago, I was in the only perfect place of worship that ever existed and slithering deception came in and deception came in and said, well, this really isn't God's intentions towards you. And because of that, they became afraid and then they hid from God and from one another. Jesus comes in that day and he sees what's going on. And I believe as he goes into the temple, he sees this happening and he says, there's something here that's deeply wrong because this isn't the first created place where mankind was supposed to be encounter, able to encounter God and discover his fullest intentions toward him. It's not the first time I've been in this moment. There's something eerie about this moment. And I believe as certainly as he would say to his disciples regarding the fall of Satan, just a moment ago I was there and saw him cast from heaven like lightning. Just a moment ago I was at the east of Eden. I was at the last day of Eden when mankind had been deceived, when mankind was afraid and mankind hid. He says, and, and, and God's intentions were disrupted. I believe when he comes in that day, he comes into every one of these worship services, you see, because we all carry the same virus with us. We wonder every day and every week, why am I here? What is my purpose? What is the answer? Is God's intentions toward me what I hope they are? And there is no greater continuing battle, no greater continuing battle than that one in our mind. And he comes in and with violent, I wish I could find, he comes in as you begin to approach worship and all of a sudden there's something between you and God. It's the place where you're going to make deals and you're going to barter and it's reflective of how the world thinks. And God, Jesus says, let, let me just step in right ahead of you real quick and tell you that it's not going to be that way in my house. It's not going to be that way in your heart. It won't work that way. Just a moment ago, the Father's intentions were pure and unadulterated, and something slithered in. And I believe when he came into the temple that day, he said, something here is desperately wrong. Something here is desperately wrong. There's, there's, there's something going on in our culture right now that's a big deal. It's a big deal. And I know you see it on the news. I know that, you know, people are, okay, what are we going to do to fix this problem? There's a disruption of God's intentions toward mankind. And beloved, hear me. The answer to the problem on the planet won't ever be government. I told pastors over and over this week, as the debate and the discussion is, is still boiling in our denomination, and now more pointedly uh, between pastors and leaders, uh, people of color, I guess is the red and yellow, uh, red and yellow and black and then white, and this discussion's going on. What do we do? How do we respond? See, here's the mistake we make. We think, and, and I said this over and over. As a matter of fact, I've stood at more meetings and said, you can't legislate common sense, righteousness, integrity, or love. You can't legislate that. You can write it down on paper all that you want. Okay, so what's the, what's the, what, what do we do, Pastor Tom? We're New Hope Church. 
you know, I didn't do anything this week. I get that. I get that. In the story of, of, the, of the Good Samaritan, we call the Good Samaritan. Again, we really need to dig more deeply. There's just a couple things. There's something I want to show you. If you can get that scripture up, um, um, <clears throat> Amanda, please, in... Uh, In Luke chapter 10, I want us, I read this to you last week. In Luke chapter 10, verse 30, it's the story of the Good Samaritan. It said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest came along. Now remember, he was going down from Jericho. It's presumed that this is a Jewish person. Um, someday we need to do a study of all the places that Jesus chose Samaritans or reference to Samaritans to make a point because there are critical places. And you don't get it. See, the Samaritan people were the people who had remained in the area after 600 years earlier. Listen, after the, the conquering and deportation, the Samaritans were the leftover Jews that had sort of inbred and, and co-mingled with, with the conquering hordes that came through. So when the Jewish people returned, they had a, dis, uh, a disparate view towards the Samaritan. You just can't get the depth of the prejudice and the feelings. We can't, we can't get it. Uh, and so anytime a Samaritan's mentioned, we read right by it. We hear good Samaritan and we think, Good, good. No, you, you, we don't get the point that Jesus, make, that Jesus is making. I mean, he, he's bringing a highly prejudicial issue right in front of them. So watch happens. There's a Jewish guy that's hurt. Um, and uh, I'm sorry, I lost my scripture again. Okay. It said in verse 31, and by chance a priest was going down on that road. And when he saw him, he passed over to the up by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite. These are two people of high standing in the worship consciousness and sort of the cultural or social pecking order. You'd expect the priest, you'd expect the Levite uh, to, to, to act differently. He says, but when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. Would everybody say compassion? This is an interesting word that is similar in its reach to mercy, but of the 11 times it's used, it's used exclusively of what a person feels on the inside. Jesus, it's used to describe him. He saw people, he felt compassion. He saw people, he felt compassion, and then he stepped into their life and did something. Now, bless your poor hearts, as many times as you've heard me talk about mercy, forgive me for talking about it one more time. There's probably no topic I talk about more every week with pastors, and it's such a critical aspect. Mercy is the force of God refusing to join me, in my opinion of me, above his opinion. Mercy, I've got, there's about five trickle-down definitions. Mercy is God refusing to leave me unaffected by grace. Mercy is God uh, refusing to join me in my own destruction. All of these are biblical and theological. The very first expression of mercy 
the very first expression of mercy happens at the Garden of Eden when the seraphim, these horrific angels, I really need to pray that at some point I can hire, we can hire an animator. I really need you to see, maybe you don't need to see, but the pictures that are, that I can get them out of my brain in front of you. Somebody said yes. Who is that precious soul? Oh, Mason. Well, you're ADD too. You don't count. Okay. <laughs> you know, he said, yes, please, Lord. We need all the help we can get. Um, watch this. The seraphim, these incredible angels, <clears throat> give me a minute here this morning, <clears throat> are posted at the east of Eden to keep mankind from getting back to the tree of life and or the presence of God. Why? Because death had entered, according to Romans 5. Please hear me. Death, that total separation state. It's not death like we think of death of just lungs and, and brain and heart don't work anymore. But I mean a total separation from God. Did you know that mankind, one of the reasons we struggle so much at, at funerals is mankind was never created to die. And we all know that. We know it down here. They were created to be eternal. Death was not supposed to be there. That was something that came in through sin. So there won't ever be a funeral that we don't come to with some sort of awkwardness. Because deep down in every human soul, there's something stamped that we don't want to... We weren't created to die. Uh, that's, a, that's another fun discussion. The seraphim are these multi-winged, sometimes multi-faced creatures that are there... Right, and, and they, they're referred to as administrators of divine justice. The first place they show up in the Bible is at the east of Eden. Hang with the preacher here this morning. Give me a second, okay? Because we're going to get right back to that table that got turned over. The second place you see them, if I'm not mistaken, is later on when they are designing the tabernacle and the temple, Okay? They have this thing called the Ark of the Covenant. On the top of this, the lid of the Ark of the Covenant, this big box overlaid with gold, there are seraphim fashioned on the end of it. Now, once a year, the high priest would get to come in to where this Ark was kept. It was the Holy of Holies. It's the innermost place in the tabernacle and in the temple. And what would happen is once a year, watch this language, it says the presence of the Lord would come and dwell above the mercy seat. Go check this out. Dwell above. I've never talked to you guys about this, so just hang with me here. He would dwell above. He wouldn't. Then it was referred to as the mercy seat. I, I, this picture is so beautiful. Now, so watch. If you were to see this box, and I, I again, I, I, if I had a plan to teach this, I would have at least gotten some pictures. This box that had the seraphim on each of the corners facing out, these horrific beings, and they're facing outward. Now watch the sequence. And just above the mercy seat, the presence of God would dwell. Rewind with me back to, to Eden. There was the seraphim at the east of, of Eden, and somewhere inside the garden was the essence of God. So there was a gap between wherever they were, and the tree of life. There was a space, if you will. You keep going to Isaiah 6 when it shows the seraphim the next time. And you said, and there was God enthroned. And it said, and just out from him, swirling, were, the, were, were around like this big 
ball, sphere, not just centuries walking around, but over and under and around where these beings crying out, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty. You go fat past that's another 700 years to the book of Revelation in Revelation chapter 4, and John records the same thing. He says, I saw one sitting on the throne. I saw elders out from that, but in between that, I saw these incredible beings, these seraphim, there it is just out from the throne. There's a little gap in between. It is worth noting that when Jesus, this just lit, this was, by the way, this was something that gripped me the week before this whole COVID-19 craziness happened. I was getting ready to come in and give us a new baptism of mercy. What happens in the Revelation 4 and 5 John beholds, uh, he says, who is worthy to open this book? And he was weeping, and one of the elders said to him, what are you crying about? Take another look. And it said he looked, and he observed there was a lamb that was stepping in between the seraphim and the throne of God. Beloved, I'm so thankful at the east of Eden that God created a gap for mercy between where judgment stood and where the presence of God was. And God says, I'm going to hold that open. He goes further, and even when he designs a worship system that was designed to epitomize and give us the picture, he says, there on the end of the mercy seat are the seraphim. But I'll dwell above it. God said, I won't even sit in that seat. That seat's been reserved for someone else. You hang on. He's coming. As we fast forward into Isaiah chapter 6, one more time you get a snapshot of that. And there those seraphim, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And there one is unapproachable in between. But beloved, it says, when the Lamb of God who had been slain, read Revelation 5, was resurrected from the dead and he ascended on high, he stepped right in between there. And I've said for years, you don't hear holy, holy again after Revelation 4. You hear worthy because holy. Holy is an observation, worthy is a testimony. Holy is an observation that the demons make according to the book of James, but only a redeemed person can say worthy. I believe there was a seat because Hebrews says that he has sat down at the right hand of the Father, which means there's a seat. I believe there was a gap kept open at Eden. I believe there was a seat of mercy that even the Father himself didn't sit on. Because in the Old Testament, they could come in before the Father, uh, the essence of God. Almighty Yahweh, Jehovah, who would dwell above the mercy seat. He said, I'm above it, but I'm leaving it open. There's someone else that's going to take the seat and fill the gap between the judgment of the seraphim and the presence of a holy God. And God steps in there after the resurrection. He steps in between and it says, and he took a seat and he said, I believe this has been reserved for me. Here's the good news. You keep reading Hebrews, and it says, Now I want you to approach the throne of grace, where you receive what? Mercy. you got to pass by mercy. Mercy is the voice of no. Mercy is the walked into the temple of that day and said, I'm going to refuse to join in anything that's less than my purposes declared for you. Why is this so critical? In the story of the Good Samaritan, that word compassion, it sees me. I've never looked at it before. I won't bother to educate you on another Greek word. I know you're expecting that. You come longing for that every week. But it's a word rendered 11 times, Johnny, compassion. It's a different word from eleos for mercy. 
Because here's the thing, beloved, until compassion happened in him, there wasn't mercy for him to cross the road and say no. You see, what do you, what do you, what do you mean? Something happened in him before he walked to the other side of the street. And you see, once something happened in him, then what began to happen through him was an entirely different thing. Once it happened in him, he walked over here and he said, I'm going to say no to the mistreatment that you and all your family, Jewish people, I'm a Samaritan guy, that you and all your family uh, have done for me for 400 years. You don't deserve it. You won't give me the time of the day. And if the roles were reversed, you probably wouldn't stop for me for a minute. But something's moved inside me. Beloved, once it begins to happen in us, Mercy can and should happen through us. There's two examples of it that stand out. There's another one in the book of Luke also. It's referred to as the rich man and Lazarus. And it says, there was a man, uh, the, uh, a poor man, Lazarus, a beggar, with sores on his body and suffering, that it was the gate. And every day he was at the gate of the rich man, and the rich man would walk right by him. It says, the rich man dies. And he's sent to, to hell, if you will. And he cries out and says, Father Abraham, he could see him from where he was, have mercy on me. And Father Abraham said, I'm sorry, mercy can't reach you where you are. And in your days, you did this, you did that, and you should have done this, but you didn't. And now he is being comforted and you're not. Okay, where, where, where's all this going, Pastor? I believe that there's still a savior that says just a moment ago, I was at the east of Eden and I had the highest intentions for mankind. You see, but mercy drove him to the house of God to turn over the tables and say no to that. The two most glaring places where this, two of the most glaring places where this word mercy shows up, it has to do with the Samaritan who had something begin to happen in him, and so it gave him the courage to cross the road and go over there and say no by whatever resources were made available to him. Watch, limited resources. How can I say no to that? And so he spent of his money. But I'm not just talking about money. He took of his stuff and he said, I can't fix the problems of this world, but I can fix this one problem right here. I don't know how far it will go. And it said, he extended mercy. <laughs> this whole concept of mercy being open to us that we can't even imagine is incredible. I'm going to stop right here. Another familiar passage of scripture for us at New Hope. Acts chapter 10, Cornelius. It said he prayed and offered alms. The word is literally mercy gifts. He helped Jewish people there that were impoverished, and he took of his limited resources, and he opened his hand. Please hear me, beloved. We've sung songs. I've written songs about this. But something is stirring, stirring in my heart. I don't think new hope at all can fix the ills of, of our entire culture. I don't think, nor do I think God lays that at our feet. But I think what he does lay at our feet is to walk across the street where opportunities may present themselves. Will I just cross over? Will I just go out of my way? Will I bother to be a voice? Will I bother to listen and hear the Spirit of God where the Spirit of God says, my intentions for mankind are so far above this, how can I be a part? Cornelius just took of his resources. He was a, he was a military guy. And he gave. And it says, God stopped everything because he saw an act of mercy. 
That theme is again and again and again and again and again and again. I don't know that I can fix every problem, every situation. I personally this week have made phone calls like a six-year-old. Hi, my name's Tom. You don't know me. But I read something you posted online. And these have been to black brothers and sisters in Christ, pastors, ministers who are hurting right now. I can't fix this. We can't fix this. And I've heard even people say, man, I'm so tired of all this. By, by the way, we're going to pray. See, here, here's the thing. I watched what was going on here in worship. What God was doing for our lives, I watched your prophetic utterance and declaration. It's nothing less than Jesus walking in to this house this morning and saying, you've come to worship, but you've run right into something, and there's something between you and me, an economy uh, of thinking about what this means. But Jesus just shows up, and he flips all that upside down and says, no, I want you to come in right now. I want you to come here. Nothing can stand between you and me. But what do we do with the mercy we've received? See, it said when, when Cornelius opened his hand, God, do you understand if you read the history of the book of Acts that that is where the gospel came to the Gentiles, you and me? We're in this room because of an act of mercy on the part of Cornelius. God does the same thing he's always done. He looked at, he said, I, I see that mercy. Now remember what he said to the rich man, because you didn't extend mercy there, problems here. The Samaritan, because of mercy, he crossed the street. Cornelius, because of mercy, and God says, now let me show you what I'm going to do. I'm going to open my hand from the invisible realm that you can't see, and I'm going to give you what your money can't buy. That's the backside of mercy. So if you need an angle for walking in mercy, there it is. If you want to get it, give it. Pour it out. Let me say one thing. <clears throat> I read time and time again, and you can write to me. You can even take shots. I, I, that's cool. I think leadership has to have thick skin. But I am involved in leadership forums, and I mention them to you often. And there's this, this big thing, you know, the response. It's not black lives matter. It's all lives matter. And be careful. Before you shout amen. Um, that statement's bothered me for a long time. I didn't start talking about it now, right? I wrote about it about four years ago. And, and I want us to understand, first of all, there is an organization called Black Lives Matter. I, if, I've been to their website. I've read what they're about. I can't support what, in, in terms of Christian, in, in terms of biblical values, when you start reading, here's what we're about. I, just, I can't support that. My statement about Black Lives Matter isn't about an organization. It's about scripture. It's about people. And here's the point. If you were to go into an emergency room, and there was a room full of people in there, and some had a cold, other one had COVID-19, uh, uh, um, um, what do you call them, um, symptoms, uh, and there's someone with a broken arm, and then all of a sudden someone comes in, and they've been in a car accident, and they walk in, and there's a piece of a street sign that's driven straight through there, and they come running in. Okay? We know what's going to happen. 
that person's going to get to the front of the line. Why? Because only their life matters? No. No, it's a, it's a statement of triage. <clears throat> Jesus makes a similar statement in Mark chapter 2. He says, what, what, why are you doing talking to all of those people, those Gentiles and sinners and whatnot? And he says, sick people need a doctor. It's a statement of triage that even Jesus made. Because they're essentially coming back at him saying, all lives matter, all lives matter. All lives do matter, beloved, I get that. But that is not waving a flag of nobility. So, so, so just pull back off of that. Because I, I've, I mean, I, I want to hear the hearts of people, and I do. And I've had pastors talk in deep and earnest of the theology. All lives matter. Jesus died for all lives. He did. But isn't it amazing? Watch the time after time how he would stop going where everyone wanted him to go and pull aside for a 12-year-old girl that was dead. Wait a minute, what are you doing? Or the three blind men, son of David, here it comes, have mercy, stop and say no to me. No, you guys be quiet. Said they tried to get him to be quiet. The disciples tried to shut him down. It said, but they screamed all the louder. Do you know how many times Jesus would stop and because, wait a minute, there's so much you could do if you would just get to the temple or get to the synagogue you know because you got a mission here we're going to take over the world all lives matter and jesus says wait no but this one matters now now that's all that's going on here now, i don't expect you to shout me down but anything i'm saying here is not i am the most unpolitical person you'll come across why because i believe in the kingdom passionately I believe in the kingdom passionately. We've got to be those who can get the glimpse of the Father's heart. When the Father says, I operate from the place at the last day of Eden that I am progressively working to recover at the end of the age. Between here and there, we're going to have lots of moments where I step in and say, no, this won't happen. You're being deceived from who you can be. You're becoming afraid because you don't know who I am. And then you hide from each other. You understand that prejudice is nothing other than hiding. Racism is nothing other than hiding. The church has the answer. We are the answer. The government's not the answer. Republican, Democrat, Libertarian is not the answer. They're not going to bring the answer. Okay, so, Pastor Tom, great. What do you want me to do this week? <clears throat> Go find a black man and hug him, right? I'll be good. Dude, I can't believe you just said that. I'm saying walk across the street. I'm saying cross over just to the opportunity God will put in your path. Now, how many believe as much as we felt the Holy Spirit earlier saying, God, I need this and do it. And yes, Lord, thank you. Okay, here comes our next prayer. You ready? This, this will be our benediction. How many are excited about that? Don't raise your hand. It's my wife. I, I told her before I came, I called several, I called people on the way here and I said, I said, we're about to have the second week in a row of a new series called Tom's All-Time Homiletical Disasters. I, I, I can't get my heart, I can't separate it out. It's just overflowing in me. And I get we live in Seaverville. We don't live in New York. I get that. I get that. But what if we could pray a prayer that just says, Father... This week, we're going to leave this building. We're going to go out into the world, and we're going to find people that are desperately in need of mercy. And by the way, that's red and yellow, black and white. 
Lord, this week I ask you to do through me what you've done to me. Lord, you came into this temple today, into my temple, and you turned over the tables that stood between where you are and where I am. You made a declaration prophetically, and now I'm asking you that that same thing that happened in me this week would happen, on Sunday would happen through me this week. Direct my path. Give me the opportunity to awkwardly just cross over and meet or talk or extend mercy. Can you make that your prayer? This, this week, this week. Uh, that Lord, I just want to walk to the other side of the street because I'm, how can we start it? We start right there. Start right there. Start with you. Start with me because I, I'm, I'm saying, okay, um, mourn with those who mourn, weep with those who weep, but I only mourn for so long. We're a church that only mourn. In 2003, one year here, tsunami, Southeast Asia. It happened. Four days later, I went with two other guys from New Hope to the other side of the world. Why? Because we thought New Hope could make a difference, and we did. And it's what began partnering and build a city. And we went over there. Why? Because we can mourn and mourn and mourn, but sooner or later we got to get up and do something. The book of James says you can only hear it for so long. After you hear it, you need to do something with it. So I get, I, I want to know what can we do? And that's what I've been bugging God about. We were hurricanes last year in, in, in the Bahamas. We're still going back there and finishing houses uh, that the COVID-19 thing interrupted that we can't fit it. Why? We mourn. Oh, that's sad. I'm brokenhearted. Ooh, can't fix it. Oh, God. Well, what can I do? Now you get to do something. So, again, what are you asking of me? Would you agree with that with me this week? Okay. Father, create an opportunity. Create an opportunity for me to cross over in mercy with anybody. I don't care the color of their skin. And by the way, I'm not praying a prayer for you just to find somebody with brown skin. I'm praying for you to practice mercy wherever mercy may present itself. I'm praying for you to venture out and saying, Father, what I go to that place and happens for me every week, I want to happen through me. You see, that Samaritan, it couldn't happen through him until something happened in him. I believe that happens here. Father, cause us to venture across the street. Okay, everybody stand up. Go back to the blessing song, if you would. Thank you for these two weeks. When I say that, I mean that. Thank you. Th thank you for indulging me wrestling deeply with Lord, what do we do as a church? And I'm not done asking those questions. I've been involved in Zoom calls, meetings, things on, you know, where we get together. But it's got to be more than just a passing moment of getting people together with different colors of skin so that we can sing, pray, talk, hug each other's neck. There's got to be something more than that. The church is the more than that. I got a couple of ideas for things that are maybe off in the future a few months. I think you're going to be excited about it. But uh, can I just go ahead and tell you? We live in a county that's 95.3% Caucasian demogra uh, demographic census. It's that reality. You know what I'm, I'm, I've just begun praying for in the last couple of days? I've become praying for a place 
in East Knoxville, Hans, that we might find a place for a New Hope campus where it will be far more likely, based on demographics, that we can intersect and bring mercy to a place where there's more people with different colors of skin. I I get that. You say, well, why aren't you asking him to come here? I have. I've been here 18 years. I have. And and I get that. First, it's just, it's far. So I've begun to say, Father, open the door. Open the door and, and an opportunity. And what if he used, what if he just used a white church from Seaverville? To, and look, but get me. I'm not looking. I want to make a statement. I don't want to make a statement. I want to be obedient. I don't want to make a statement. I don't want to be sensational. I don't want to be profound. I want to walk across the street. I just want to cross over to anybody that needs mercy and say, here's mercy. We got mercy. We can share mercy. Uh, We're a place of mercy. (laughs) We have threatened to change the name how many times, Rick, to Mercy House. We finally got one ministry going. Okay, I'll quit. Father, I love you. I thank you for the people of God. Stir our hearts, Lord. Come in these times and disrupt our soul. May we understand that you not only turn the tables over this that become that stand between you. But Father, this whole mercy thing is a big thing. It's the seat that was held open that you took at the right hand of the Father. It's the one we get to pass through right now. The seraphim don't stand in a way. We come right straight to mercy. Hallelujah. And mercy says no. Mercy provides a pathway into the Father that we didn't have. May we be people of that mercy pathway this week, Father. May we just cross over to some situation any moment. Speak to us in Jesus' name. I love you and praise you and I worship you. Hallelujah. And now, Father, may the Lord, may you bless them and keep them. Cause your face to shine on them. Be gracious unto them. Lift your countenance upon them and give them peace. We're the blessed of the Lord. Blessed coming in and blessed going out. Just a moment ago. Just a moment ago. Just a moment ago. Father, you were at the east of Eden with a broken heart on the last day when mankind walked away and hid. Just a moment ago. It is ever fresh in the eternal mind of God. Just a moment ago. And Father, you are still turning over tables and still opening pathways. May we be people. May we be those people of mercy. I love you and praise you. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit newhopeonline.com.